Rashad White, fumbled. Bradbury's got it for Philadelphia. Jalen Carter was out there and forced the fumble, and that rookie is a star in the making. Well, good afternoon, good morning, and good evening, whatever time of the day it is that you're listening to this program. Welcome to Philadelphia Eagles Talk with Jeff. Started out the program there with a little bit of a montage. Well, I actually wanted to do a montage, but really um, didn't have a lot of time to do a lot of uh, prep work for this podcast, quite honestly. Just been a really super busy day, but I want to give you a little sampling of last night's game. The emergence already of Jalen Carter is something to be seen. This guy, this guy is as impressive a player that I've seen in a long time. And I'm talking about any team, uh, and especially at the defensive line position, which it normally takes uh, players, even top prospects, at least a couple of years before they kind of – burst out in the, in the screen and and uh, and kind of come into their own and and live up to their to their top billing. But Jalen Carter, man, this guy is already one of the top defensive tackles in the league. That is not an exaggeration. The stats back it up. They do. He's ranked. Whether we want to look at PFF ratings, if you want to look just at statistics alone, Jalen Carter is like ranked second overall. Uh, statistically, as well as, I think, the PFF rating. It really is amazing. Now, he's got to keep it going. You know, he could hit a brick, you know, hit one of those rookie walls halfway during the season. I don't see it happening. But you got to be excited. Either way, even if he does fade a little bit, you know, uh, the guy has already shown that, number one, he's not going to be a bust. Because you never know, right? Every team has got those first-round busts every once in a while. Talent is amazing. And I said back many, many podcasts ago in the pre-off-season you know, off season or whatever that the highlight film after they drafted him and I was able to kind of watch him a little bit closer because I, I really don't watch much college football. So I didn't know a heck of a lot about him. But when I dove into the highlights from his college days, he reminded me of, and this is what I said, and I said, I don't throw these type of comparisons around lightly. I said he reminds me of Jerome Brown, the way he plays. And I also said if we have half the player Jerome Brown is, it's a great pick. Well, right now, this guy looks every bit the part of Jerome Brown. And, you know, you put him next to Jordan Davis, who I said was going to be the key cog. I really said he would be the key. Because we have light linebackers in terms of size and, and weight and really inexperienced back there too. 
you know, not a lot of experience with N'Kobe Dean coming in for the first time, and he hasn't played much because he's been on IR. He only played the first game of the season, got injured. He'll be back in a couple weeks. But, uh, you know, they have Morrow coming over from the Giant, or not from the uh, Bears, rather. And, uh, you know, the offseason, they've, as a free agent, um, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. I picked up Cunningham. That's who it was. Zach Cunningham, who was all over the field last night. And they have uh, they've done well. But why have they done well? Because nobody through three games has been able to run in this defense, in this defensive line. Because Jordan Davis has been an absolute mauler. And not only just stopping the run, which we kind of figured that's what he would, would be his forte. We figured he'd be able to stop the run. But he's getting, you know, pressure on the quarterback. I mean, he's pushing people back. He is mauling the pocket. And so is Jalen Carter, but we kind of expected him to give pass rush because that's how, you know, what his attributes are. But to have Jordan Davis also doing the same while bottling up the run, I mean, nobody, I think the Buccaneers averaged like two point something yards per carry last night. Nobody's been able to run on him. Addison was completely shut down in the Minnesota game. Opening weekend, the, the, uh, the Patriots have a really good running game always in Belichick's offense. They never have really stars running backs, but they've always been able to run the, run the ball. They didn't do anything either. I mean, three straight games. And uh, the Eagles come away with a 25-11 to victory over the previously undefeated Buccaneers. Uh, and really that game was not even as close as the score indicates. I mean, the Eagles absolutely dominated that game. Front, left, right, center. All over the field. It was not a competitive game. Uh, the only reason why it was competitive is because the Eagles continued to struggle a little bit in the red zone and weren't able to punch it in a couple times. Um, they got to fix that. That's, you know, one of the critiques coming out of the game. They, they've still not really figured out this red zone offense yet under the new offensive coordinator. Uh, but they're getting better every week. You know, that's the thing. You know, you don't want to peak too soon in this league. You want to be playing your best ball later in the year. And the Eagles continually just continue to get better. And it's nice to know that, you know, as they're going along the season here and not playing their best, they're they're undefeated. So that's a pretty good sign. You're undefeated and not playing that well. Um, so, you know, it's uh, you got to win the games that are in front of you. And, uh, you know, this was a test. The, the Tampa Bay has got a good defense, especially against the run. So that's what's also probably the most impressive takeaway from last night is the fact that the Eagles were able to just absolutely road blast over that uh, defensive line and unit of the Buccaneers in Tampa, even though you would probably have a hard time believing it was in Tampa because half the crowd was Eagle fans because we do have the best fans in the NFL bar none. Nobody travels like Philadelphia Eagle fans. That was Tampa. That wasn't like one of these, you know, Giants or Washington games. That was all the way down in Florida. And we took over that stadium last night. Here, Eagles chants during the game. I love my fellow Bird fans. Shout outs to everybody who was down there in Florida listening. Uh, uh, that was an awesome representation, man. You guys represented, and uh, we heard you. You could, you can't, you couldn't not miss you. Uh, you guys were so loud on the telecast. They even commented on it too. How many Eagle fans were there, and uh, you know the chants and all that. So, man, my hats off to all you fellow Bird fans across the country who. Uh, who represent and uh, and follow this team in, in opposing stadiums and everything else. I did that last year. I went down to Washington, who ironically is the Eagles' next opponent this weekend at home. 
And boy, do we owe them from last year at home when they knocked us off last year when we were undefeated. Um, they had a lot of help doing that, but you know what? They still won the game regardless. But yeah, a lot of a lot of help by the Eagles themselves who shot themselves in foot four times with turnovers. And of course, we know about the penalty play that I've alluded to and numerous times when uh, uh, Goddard was face masked all the way to the ground, dragged it by the ground, and somehow the striped zebras didn't see the penalty. I don't know how you could not see such a blatant face mask. And of course, on that play, Goddard also got injured. It was a fumble, as you may recall, the uh, Washington uh, got the fumble and returned it for a touchdown. So it was, it was a horrible, uh, horrible play. And it was a big drop pass by Qu- uh, Watkins in the game where he, well, no, he actually caught the pass and was on his way to the end zone and fumbled the ball. So the Eagles just, it was a very sloppy, bad game. And uh, so we owe Washington. We play them this weekend. Uh, they're coming off a absolute beating by the Bills who uh, just destroyed them in Washington. Um, and the Washington had a case of the turnovers, too. I guess uh, Howe was picked off four times. So uh, they're coming into this game stumbling, and we're coming into this game flying. And uh, so it should be uh, – we'll see how we do. You know, Washington always plays the Eagles tough. So, you know, can't take any games for granted in this league. Just ask the Cowboys. <laughs> how you doing out there? Any Cowboy fans listening? How about those Arizona Cardinals? How are you guys feeling about that, huh? I know I'm feeling about it. I loved it. I loved every second of that game. So, um, yeah, so we're going to talk uh, about uh, the game last night, give you a little post game, and then we're going to come right back tomorrow with the pregame show. It's going to be a little earlier than normal because my guest, uh, uh, you know, has to come on tomorrow versus later in the week. So we will have our pregame uh prediction and uh, discussion about the Washington Commanders on tomorrow's podcast. So make sure you tune in for that. That's another reason why you want to make sure you follow, uh, subscribe, make sure you like, make sure you rate, all those things. Share this. Share the podcast with your buddies. Let them know. Send them a quick email. Hey, it's a pretty good podcast here. Check it out. Whatever you guys want to do. Bottom line is just subscribe. That's the number one deal. Uh, but, yeah, our podcast will be tomorrow. I will have special guest Commanders fan Johnny on the show, who, uh, if you guys have been with us for a while, know that he's uh, been on in the past, and we bring him on every time the Eagles and Washington team play each other. So he will be uh, with me tomorrow to talk about his Commanders, and uh, uh, we'll share our thoughts on the game. So that will be coming up tomorrow. By the way, my last podcast was number 150. So this is podcast number 151, 150 podcasts of Philadelphia Eagles Talk with Jeff. So uh, kind of a uh, milestone, if you will, as we now head towards the 200 mark. And for those of you who have been with me, I appreciate it. For those of you out there that are new to Philadelphia Eagles Talk with Jeff, welcome aboard. And uh, I'll give you the email to the show if you want to talk to us, uh, ask any questions, uh, you know, let us know your thoughts. You could do that at P-E-T-W-G-P at gmail.com. Once again, P-E-T-W-G-P at gmail.com. You can email the show that way. All right. So let's get into the game. 25 to 11 Eagles victory over the Buccaneers down in Tampa. A team that, as I mentioned in the pregame, or the pre, I guess the preview, whatever show that I had discussion with Matt, 
on episode 150, by the way. Um, I talked about how the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are just one of those teams that the Eagles just never play well. Like the Florida teams in general, the Eagles don't play well. Jacksonville, uh, Tampa, Miami. We'll see you in a few weeks. By the way, Miami rolled up 70 points over the weekend. I mean, that was insane. That was insane. I still got to see the highlights of that game. I haven't watched them yet, but wow. I don't care if it's early in the season, late in the season. If I don't care if uh, – I forget who they played now. Who did they put 70 in? Denver? I don't care if Denver had their practice squad in there. You put 70 points up in an NFL game, you are dangerous. So if anybody is taking that lightly or just kind of brushing that aside, like, eh, it's just Denver. Miami's legit. They are a legit team. No doubt about it. Um, so uh, Kansas City and the Bills and any other AFC team that's got aspirations for the Super Bowl, uh, you better uh, you better keep your eye on those Dolphins down there because uh, that team doesn't mess around at all. Um, so they're firing on all cylinders offensively, unlike the Eagles who completely dominated that game against Tampa. I mean, that game should never have been 25-11. to 11. It was not nearly that close. Uh, that's one of those scores that doesn't represent the, uh, you know, really represent the game uh, and how it uh, kind of played out. Uh, that should have been a 40-11 to 11 game. Uh, the Eagles just uh, still stubbing their toe in the red zone and uh, having trouble, you know, getting seven instead of threes, and, and hopefully – as they continue to build and get better here and get used to the new offensive coordinator and all those things, um, you know, as we get deeper into the season, hopefully they start correcting those and become more um, efficient in the red zone because, you know, you start playing these better teams coming up. As we know, there's a lot of them coming up in the schedule here in a few weeks. Um, you're not going to win those games by kicking field goals. So I'm pretty sure the Eagles understand that. Jalen Hurts, by the way, it came out after the game that he played the game uh, with the flu. He was not feeling well, um, but he kind of gutted it out. And uh, only one of those interceptions, I know he threw two picks. One of them was not his fault at all. Um, the uh, Swift, the uh, receiver on that route, ran the wrong way, and Hurts uh, ended up throwing right to the right to the Tampa Bay Buccaneer. It was like, thank you very much. So that was not on Hurts. That, that was just a miscommunication there on the part of Swift. Um, who, by the way, had an amazing, another monster game running the ball by Swift. I mean, he is he is fun to watch, man. Swift is, and behind the lines, the offensive line just absolutely just took over the game last night. Uh, and that's a good defensive line that Tampa has. Uh, and they just blew him off the ball. Uh, Swift took advantage of that and was just gashing them. Uh, so Swift, another great game. Two straight games over 100 yards. Um, well over 100 yards, actually. I think he averaged like eight, eight point something yards per carry. I mean, it's insane. And, you know, that was coming off his first game when he was averaging six point something yards per carry. So he actually got better. He improved on those numbers. Uh, so Swift with a uh, monster game there for the uh, Eagles last night. And, you know, just kind of, um, you know, talking about some of the other positions there, you know, you had A.J. Brown who came out. Uh, you kind of knew that the Eagles were going to try to get in the ball more because of the uh, – um, which I thought was much ado about nothing, the incident on the sideline. I think these cameras just blow a lot of these things out of proportion. Um, and uh, But there was no doubt that they were going to go to Brown more often than they did. And he had and responded with a big game, nine catches, 130-something yards receiving. 
Uh, so good, good job there by AJ Brown. Still not able to get in the end zone. He did have a couple drops. I mean, one clearly should have won a, a click slant that went right through his hands, and then he hit another drop later on. But, um, but he, you know, overall he played, you know, very well. But he did have a couple of big drops there. One, you know, the one in t- the end zone in particular. Um, Reed Blankenship had a great game. His first game back from injury, and he got his first pick of the season. Uh, a really great play. He played well, tackled well. Uh, well, there's one play where he did not tackle well. He kind of took a bad angle out down the sideline. Other than that, he played a very, very solid game. Sidney Brown was in there for a little bit uh, before he, I guess he left the game being injured there in the um, second half, early in the second half. Uh, he got injured and did not return. But when he was in there, uh, he played made that good play in the uh, corner of the end zone. Uh, so it was good to see that. Uh, so, you know, they, they moved – uh, Bradbury to the slot, which you kind of got an idea that that might be what they were going to do when you looked at the uh, pregame. Um, you know who was uh, who was starting, who was not, and so you kind of had an indication that Bradbury might uh, be the slot, and that's what they did, and, and he did pretty well. They they pretty much shut down Evans for the most part. He made his plays. You're never going to shut down a uh, completely a great receiver like Evans. But when you what you want to do is contain him and keep him out of the end zone. They didn't keep him out of the end zone either. He did have a touchdown reception, but they uh, for the most part they did a pretty good job on Evans. And one of the catches he made was just a spectacular one hander. Uh, he leaped two Eagles defenders and made a one handed catch. It was one of the best catches I've seen uh, ever versus just this year. But he's he's a tremendous talent. I mean this guy. He's got nine straight thousand yard years. I don't know why Tampa's not paying the guy. If there's any wide receiver in the league that deserves to get paid, it's Mike Evans. Uh, he's on his way to the uh, Hall of Fame. I don't think it's um, too crazy to say that. I mean, I think that he's got the numbers. Um, I think he's got 70 something touchdown receptions, too, which is crazy with only nine seasons. Um, but yeah, he gets a thousand yards every year. It's like um, it's a routine for him. He's he's a great, great player. I've always been a, a fan of Mike Evans and. Uh, uh, but the Eagles overall did a pretty good job on him. Uh, Slate was on him for the most part last night. Um, so, uh, you know, they, they they kind of did a really good job on, on trying to, uh, uh, you know, not make him be the the factor in the game. And uh, and they pretty much uh, did a good job of that. They shut down the run completely, talked about that. Um, and, you know, they got the pressure on the quarterback. And, again, Jalen Carter, um, Fletcher Cox looks like he got a, an injection of youth. Uh, he's been looking great through the first three games. He definitely came into camp better shape. He looked like he lost uh, some weight or took some weight off. Maybe he decided to do that in his older age just to kind of make himself a little bit quicker versus bigger, um, you know. Uh, and uh, I tell you, it's um, it's been it's been awesome to watch this defense. This defense is really becoming. They don't have this awesome linebacking crew, and and they don't have. They have a pretty good secondary. I wouldn't call it awesome yet, but it's pretty decent in the secondary. Linebackers are, you know, just still the weakness of the of the uh, group. But that front line is is starting to give me flashbacks of that great '90s Eagles D line with Reggie White and Jerome Brown and Mike Pitts uh, and uh, you know Clyde Simmons and Mike Golick. All you know those. That front four, and that is a front four I was hoping sometime in my life I'd be able to compare another Eagles D-line to. Uh, I'm not saying it's as good as that line yet. I need to see more, but what I'm saying is I am starting to see flashes of watching that D-line, and that D-line was why you watched the Eagles games back then. I know I got probably a, maybe a younger audience who maybe weren't around in the 90s to see that, that defensive team or that team in the 90s. 
uh, but the, for those of you who are listening that did see those teams, you knew you watched those Eagles games for two reasons. The Eagles' defense was probably number one because they were so good and, and basically was our offense even because our offense was not all that good at times, especially when Cunningham was out, injured. Sometimes we relied completely on our defense to win the games. You know, we don't have to score like 13 points to win. Uh, and the defense might have scored, you know, a touchdown themselves or two in a game. I mean, that's how dominant they were. But you watched two things back then in the 90s. You watched the Eagles' defense and Randall Cunningham. And that was basically it. That was the Eagles for a good six, seven years. Um, so uh, it, this defense is, is starting to, you know, take shape. And the fact that we have two guys that are under 22, I mean, I think Carter's 22 and maybe Jordan's 23. Uh, either way, they're both under 25. And uh, even Josh Sweat, I think, is 26, I think. So just those three guys uh, are young and becoming dominant players already. It's pretty amazing. Now, let's see if it keeps up. I don't want to go nuts. There's only three games in the season. But I tell you, it's impressive to watch those guys. It really, really is. And I'm, I'm, it's not a stretch. I'm not, I don't throw that comparison around lightly, believe me. I've never been able to even compare. It's the first time I've ever been able to compare this line to that team. And I'm not even comparing them, right? I'm just saying flashes. I'm using the word flashes right now just for just to get myself on the record. I'm not, not comparing them yet. But it's showing me flashes of that team. And the 90s had such a dominant defensive line that were just taking over games. I mean, it will never – we're not even close to being that good of a defense because we had great linebackers back then too. Byron Evans, Seth Joyner. We don't definitely don't have those guys at linebacker. And, of course, we had Eric Allen and Wes Hopkins and, and Andre Waters in the secondary, and we don't have anywhere near that good a talent back there either. So as an overall defense, I'm not even close to comparing the entire defense of that defense. But the line itself is getting fun to watch. I'll just leave it at that. So Jalen Hurts um, played the game a little bit under the weather. Apparently he had the flu going into the game. Uh, but he gutted it out, and like I said, he did have a couple picks. One of them, though, not his fault. The other one actually wasn't even that bad. I'm not going to blame him for it. it. You know, he definitely forced it a little bit. Uh, but it was a great play by that, uh, I think it was the safety who came over and snagged it out of the air at the last second uh, and was able to stay in bounds, which was pretty phenomenal. So I think it was more a great play by him. I think it was worth the shot, even though some people are saying that he forced the ball. And I know I just said he forced the ball, and he kind of did force it a little bit. But to me – it wasn't that bad of a forced play, you know. Uh, I think it was worth taking the shot, uh, and it was a took a great play to pick him off. I mean, that guy just came out of nowhere uh, and, and took it. I don't think it would have been the pass would have been completed anyway, which is why I do think it was forced. But you know, the turnover itself was a great play by that uh, Tampa Bay uh, safety. And so, and then the next play, and, and give. Troy Aikman credit. He's like, I don't know if this is such a good thing that they picked it off at the one. Uh, Truck was, I mean, uh, Troy was foreshadowing <laughs> what would happen on the next play when the uh, Buccaneers tried to run it out from the uh, one yard line and got uh, caught for a safety. So, uh, and again, that's that's what I mean about this D line. It is that good, man. It is just, it is becoming a absolute force. And of course, I don't want to overshadow the offensive line. 
which was just as dominant, if not more dominant than even the defensive line, which says a lot because the defensive line freaking was dominant. But the Eagles are built in the trenches, and they dominate the trenches. Uh, certainly did last night. We'll see how they were able to do against Washington, which is going to present a bigger challenge for the offensive line on the D-line. But they got to be shaking in their boots about their offensive line facing our defensive line. I mean, Howell's going to be having nightmares between now and uh, Sunday afternoon. He thinks the Buffalo defense got on him? <laughs> Wait until you're facing this D-line in Philadelphia. Um, talked about A.J. Brown, talked about Carter and Davis. The other thing that's kind of starting to hit the airwaves now after three games is Riddick. There's people concerned about Riddick, and uh, I don't know, he's not the same, and this and that. I'm not concerned about Riddick. I'll tell you why. Two reasons. Number one, people must have forgotten already that he got off to a super slow start last season. I think he might have had one sack through three games or maybe no sacks through three games. And then he turned it up for the rest of the year. I think he was almost like four or five games in without really having a sack or maybe just having one sack. So um, I don't have the number in front of me, but I know he got off to a slow start last season too. So maybe he's just a little bit of a slow starter. That's number one. Secondly, he's playing with an injury. He's got a cast on his hand for his broken thumb or, you know, or surgically repaired thumb. I don't know if it's broken, but he got it. I think he tore a tendon in it or something uh, in the preseason. Um uh, or in um, a training camp. So he's going to get that off eventually, and he's going to be able to obviously use his hand more than he can now. And as an edge pass rusher, you guys, you know, you know, you use your hands a lot. It's part of the uh, way that you can, uh, you know, manipulate the line of scrimmage and uh, get off of blocks and things of that nature. So he's, he's not playing at 100%. So those are the two reasons I am not concerned about Reddick. I'm not at all. I'm not even the slightest concerned about him. Uh, but there's some fans out there that are, and they're saying what's going on with him and all this kind of stuff. And I'm not part of that group. Uh, I am not concerned about Reddick at all. I expect him to uh, to be a big part of this pass rush uh, going forward. DeAndre Swift, talked about him a little bit. Another huge game. Fun watching this guy run. And he runs hard. I mean, I like the way he runs. He's got cutting ability, and he's got power. Like, he's got both of those things, and he's got good vision. So this guy's a really good running back. I never really watched him much in Detroit. I saw some highlights of him and stuff. I knew he was pretty good. But he was hurt a lot too, you know. So obviously if you're not on the field, you're not putting yourself on tape and, you know, you don't see much of him. But uh, but what I've seen from him is, you know, a healthy Swift. This guy's really, really good. He's a really good back. And so uh, the Eagles pulled him in the fourth quarter last night, which I thought was smart. I know if you got him in fantasy, which I don't, but I wish I did. But if you got him in fantasy, you hate when they do that. But you know what? First of all, most teams got football, got their running backs by committee now. Uh, there's not many guys who are just, uh, you know, the proverbial number one, uh, the guy that's going to uh, tote the rock, you know, 30 carries a game. Those those, those days are over with. So, um so the Eagles were smart, took Swift out. You got to keep his legs fresh, obviously keep him healthy. So pulling him in the fourth quarter, I had no no problem with uh, yesterday. I'm just glad, and I just hope that they make him the number one back because, you know, I don't want to see Gainwell in the first, second, and third quarter really much. Um, 
and even in the red zone, you know, I put Swift in the red zone. I don't, I think this Gainwell experiment in the red zone, I mean, put him in there every once in a while, okay, but I don't think you should just pull out Swift. And this is what they did with Miles Sanders. I didn't like that either. You have the best running back and you pull him out when you get in the red zone. I mean, that was that's always thought was stupid to me. And it's just as stupid with Swift, too, you know. If you want to put him in certain packages in the red zone, fine. But everyone, every single time you go in the red zone, like they did last year to put Gainwell in there, stupid. It's just dumb. That's dumb. I mean, sprinkle him in when you want, fine. You got certain packages you want to run with him in there, fine. But he shouldn't be the quote unquote the red zone running back. So hopefully the Eagles stop doing that nonsense. Uh, talk about blank, uh, blanket ship and Bradbury being in slot. So I don't have a lot more to talk about. I want to keep this episode short, especially since we'll be right back again tomorrow uh, to talk about and preview the Commanders game. So we'll keep this one nice and short uh, and sweet. And just, you know, hey, you know, we are 3 0. First place in the NFC East, one of only three remaining unbeaten teams in the entire NFL, along with the uh, Dolphins and the 49ers. And, of course, our wonderful friends down in Dallas lost to the Cardinals. I know, I know for sure we all got a big laugh at that. That was a fun game to watch. I had that one on uh, and was watching that one. And uh, I still have the flash of that Dak pass into a, a guy that was triple covered in the end zone. That was a wonderful pass by Dak. I love that one very much. That was a that was the highlight throw of the weekend for me. Um but uh, so again, we'll be back for podcast number 152 with our friend Johnny representing the commanders. We're going to talk about the big game coming up this Sunday, our first divisional battle of the season against the Washington commanders coming off a drubbing by the bills. Now the bills are a good team. So, you know, it's not like they lost to a bad team, but they did not look good in their loss. So we'll talk to John about that and get his thoughts uh, on uh, what he thinks about the commanders heading into this game on Monday night. So until then, until tomorrow, make sure you come back. We'll be seeing you. 3-0. Can't go wrong with 3-0. This team's only getting better. And uh, we're back home to face off against the commanders. We'll talk about that tomorrow's podcast. So make sure you like and subscribe and all that kind of fun stuff. And we'll see you back. Until then, fly with fly, Eagles Bacon, and we'll catch you all next time. Until then, fly the fly, baby. Take care. See you later.